Hey Sylvia, uh, so I'm back again with another delay. It's been a couple of weeks since I got your last letter, and uh, I've just been, uh, you know, listening to it again, and I was just thinking that there's this kind of connection between this perfectionism we tend to suffer from, which you discussed um, within the context of of your eating disorder. And uh, I'm just thinking, you know, that that's, and I think I've kind of said this before, but it's 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 what keeps me from doing so many things or finishing so many things or getting around to so many things. Um, and that also even includes the letters, you know. So like I've said before, I have all these notes, and I and then but I always I'm always looking to, you know, send you the perfect letter. And uh, I think it's 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 a bit of a disease in and of itself. This constant search quest for perfection um which inevitably eludes us and then just keeps us from doing lots of things which are you know perfectly meaningful in and of themselves so yeah so here so I've uh, taken a little break from work it's a Monday early afternoon and I said damn it I'm gonna <laughs> write this letter now so yeah um so a lot of gosh yeah a lot of things have kind of piled up so I'm going to just mention the the some of the highlights for me over the past couple of weeks um but yeah the whole we we have discussed him briefly before this idea or the the whole eating order the eating disorder issue which I also had and I think so many I mean especially girls but also boys to a certain degree have um, well, women and men, for that matter, right? That kind of defies age, and I just know in in my case, I I think looking back, it was, it was you know the one kind of your body is the one thing you seem to have control over in a world where really everything seems beyond your control, and it's not. I don't think that's or in my case, it wasn't something I did consciously for that reason, but you know, looking back, that it's kind of the explanation it seems to me and and I'm always trying to figure out if you know there are other aspects to it other explanations and I think you know that's what takes me back to this whole idea of self-love and actually takes me back to religion all the time um so right now for example I'm reading this Alex Ryrie's Protestants the faith that made the modern world which is such a huge um <laughs> encompassing volume that it it you know it can only get so deep into certain things but i'm 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 always fascinated um i i would probably you know just remain fascinated by religion for the rest of my life and i think as is as, as ambivalent as i am about my own beliefs um i mean clearly they they you know religion shapes us and and depending on how much you're exposed as a child or shaped by them as a child, I mean, you, you know, you, it's, it stays with you for the rest of your life. And so, yeah, it's kind of my, my attempt. I'm always reading something about uh, <laughs> religion, it seems. I go through kind of spurts of heftier stuff. But, yeah, that's uh, so I'm about halfway through it. Um, and, you know, it's a nice five, 600-page book, so... 
I expect I'll finish it in the next week or two. But it's been quite interesting. It's also been interesting reading it, and it's a lot. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of conflict. <laughs> uh, some of it bloodier than others, and and I think reading about history just often also helps us just to put things into perspective, which has been nice these days considering everything that's happening in the world and and uh you know especially the the uh rebellion that started in the in the states now with uh black lives matter and and has really become an international an international uprising in a way um it's you know it's interesting to be reading this this book and then also trying to interact with people on facebook and I still do. It, it it gets me depressed, and sometimes I shut it off for a while, and then I go back and I try again, because um, I do have some some people that I I still follow. I'm not I'm I'm not really into the unfollowing people you disagree with. Um, I guess I don't know. Is it a part of cancel culture? I don't know. It depends on how much you can handle. I mean, I know some things can be it can be abusive, in a way, and. Uh, you know, nobody has to put up with that shit. So I'm not saying that people should continue following or trying to interact with people um, if they're feeling attacked. But I I don't know, I feel... Well, this is a thing, actually, that's, you know, kind of... Uh, even come up in therapy is this idea of what we take responsibility for and the idea that I, you know, I'm wondering, am I taking responsibility for... Uh, you know other people's actions i mean it, wh- why do i st- struggle so much to try and respond and and change people's minds i think part of that is because you know i've always said that you know i could have been i could have been one of these bigots <laughs> um you know i i grew up very much within that frame of mind i was quite an awful child um politically if i if i met myself now as a child i would probably you know <laughs> be very upset and 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 really just want to throw that kid against a wall or something but uh yeah so i also then therefore always harbor the hope of changing someone's mind this i think or my i was you know my mind was changed and even in recent years you know there have been things where where i've uh I've engaged with people that I otherwise completely disagree with for the most part, and they've managed to change my mind about some things, you know, usually small points on the on the larger issues, but but I do try to keep an open mind, and I, I like to think that some other people out there do as well. Um, but, yeah, it's very frustrating seeing people just not, I don't know, just being so closed... Seeing, being so close-minded and selfish, really, right? Um, and that's also been quite interesting reading, the, you know, reading this Protestant's book and, and thinking about religion and everything and just the way the, the uh, a lot of people who are very stubborn about these issues and very, I'd say, quite backwards, you know, claim to be the, the, the biggest Christians. Um, so they're always wielding that stick and yeah, I, yeah, 
which seems it's it's ironic in some ways, not in others. It's a whole 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 big topic, I guess. Um, but yeah, the thing with religion too, as as you know, um, I you know Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite favorite authors, and uh, they've had um, there are these these talks about her stories that you can join on Zoom online. Which um, oh wait, there's a cat fight, literally a, a literal cat fight. Uh, happening right next to me. Okay, okay. I think, yes. I think Cuddy's now out of harm's way. Okay, um, so last week I took part in, in one of those, which was about uh, the Enduring Chill, which is in Flannery O'Connor's second collection, Everything That Rises Must Converge. And, you know, I like to, I love rereading her stories. She's really this author that, you know, can't, can't get enough of (laughs) but the enduring chill was especially interesting to read right now because it's it's the story of of this you know youngish guy in his early 20s mid 20s who's left his home town in Georgia and gone up to New York to become a writer and while he's there he he he, um, falls ill and he he basically can't work, he can't pay his rent, and he ends up coming back home. He doesn't tell his mother that he's moving back until he gets back there. But um, anyways, it's a wonderful story. You should read it. Everyone should read it, right? But what really kind of hit home for me these days in the midst of all this kind of social media discourse I've been mentioning too is the way this guy just has the, harbors this great disdain for where he comes from. So, you know, he's this small-town southern boy who's gone up to New York. And, uh, you know, he he really just kind of looks down and mocks everything about back home. And so I was thinking about that within, you know, the framework of how kind of urban and the urban and rural interact in, in the United States and how full of cliches that can often be. Um, how prejudiced people are towards one another, but also kind of the, you know, the the kernels of truth that a lot of cliches do hold within them too. Um, so, yeah, but the, the uh, there were some points that uh, the woman who led the talk is a professor named Monica Miller, that, that she brought up that I hadn't thought about before. And the, the, the most important one, again, which I think is in, which really kind of opened my eyes within the framework of, of what's happening right now is is she mentioned Flannery's disdain for middle road liberals, and how she thought of this as being you know that what what she describes as middle road uh, liberals are what Martin Luther King Jr. <clears throat> described um, as the white moderate in his letters from Birmingham prison, and I think that's you know that's so at the heart too in a way I don't know you know, a white moderate, you know, basically, I mean, in his letter, where he, where he uses the term white moderate, you know, he's basically saying it's, it's easier to battle, uh, an enemy who's clearly your enemy than, uh, this kind of middle of the road stance where, you know, people full of good intentions who are really just kind of blocking your way. And I think that's, you know, it, 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 it's, yeah, so essential to 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 be aware aware of that, and um, and 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. So many times, I mean, there's good intentions. So, and you know, within the context of the U.S., what does that mean? It means, it means Joe Biden or something. I mean, it means the Democratic Party, I guess. Right? There's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of white moderates supporting that, or it means you know, these these kind of ex- very lame ass subtle reforms. Um, versus defunding the police or even getting away and doing away with them altogether. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But and I was I was just really pleasing, though, to see that connection um, because I've, I've also been fascinated, especially by the black characters in Flannery O'Connor's fiction and always wondering how, you know, how, how to place them. Um, and... Yeah, I did. I didn't realize. What I need. I need to read. Apparently, Alice Walker wrote an essay about Flannery O'Connor called "Beyond the Peacock," and it it quite praises O'Connor because she addresses race straight on, which is yeah, it's pretty, which I think is 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 looking back at the stories, it's very accurate, and I think she also really gets in in like not in an obvious or I say overbearing manner but she really gets to the heart of this whole white moderate um business which also in the enduring chill so with this character who goes up you know the son who goes up to new york we find out then within the course of the story that he's planning to write a play about negroes and (laughs) and how he's he's you know there's, there's these two black guys who work at the at the farm where he lives with where his back home um where his mother and sister now live and you know when he's come home for the summers or for vacations like how he's how he's tried to you know relate to these to these two guys and how pathetic it is in a way you know so you've got i mean it's this perfect it really just kind of takes the piss out of the whole the whole idea of this white moderate you know so this this young guy with great intentions who's just so blind to everything it's kind of ridiculous so yeah um that was that was really exciting and there's going to be um the, the, i think every other week now they're going to have these discussions which are very exciting um for any you know for 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 those of us who enjoy revisiting Flannery O'Connor again and again and you know my whole obsession with her of course it all ties into the religious thing and you know yeah, as I was raised completely Protestant, she has this Catholic um, background. Well, and she was a very devout Catholic. So also even just coming to terms with the idea of why, or you know how 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 I could be so into an author who was such a devout Catholic, um, <laughs> is something I grapple with. But yeah, so that's that's that. So I did some Flannery. I did my Protestants. I also read um, Coetzee's Disgrace, and it, I think, yeah, in between, and I have this, this copy of it, which, you know, one thing I try to do is, is whenever I, especially when I go back to the States, is I'll, I'll, you know, go to used bookstores, or I'll just be in, I don't know, Goodwill or something, and I'll pick up something I think Oh, I should have read that, but it was complete. It's been completely off my radar. But look, because I feel I feel like it was kind of meant to be, um, and therefore, you know, I should I should get this book and I should read it. That's why it's here right now. So, Disgrace was one of those books. I'd never read anything by Coetzee before, um, 
So, yeah, it was, I don't know if you've read it, but it's quite a disturbing novel. And I was then curious to see what if people kind of uh, readdressed it after the me, after me Too. And I, I saw, I looked it up and, and saw there are a couple of pieces which seemed to think that it had a lot of foresight with regard to Me Too. But I don't know, I think, I'm not sure. I'm 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 a bit ambivalent about this novel as well, you know. You've got this very, you know, this this academic guy who's he's, he's kind of an anti-hero. I almost I mean I'm not sure. It it's brilliantly written. I'm not saying anything about the 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 literary merit of it, but the political aspect is kind of confusing to me, because I feel like he should have been more of an anti-hero than he was, um, and I'm not sure how much. I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know how much humanity we're supposed to uh, breathe into these <laughs> characters in a way. Um, and yeah, also there's one thing that I don't know. There's there's another character in in the novel on the farm. I don't think I'm giving anything away really. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, but you know there's this this woman who takes care of these animals, well, puts a lot of them to sleep, frankly, um, near the farm <clears throat> where the main character's daughter lives where he ends up going. And she ends up, you know, sleeping with him. And they have this little affair. And one thing, I mean, one thing, I don't know, the thing that kind of, one thing that ticked me off about the novel most of all is like, why is this woman sleeping with this guy? You know, why, you know, it's like such this, just felt like a stupid ego boost to this, this guy who does not need it and does not deserve it. Um, but, you know, I have to question myself in that respect. Like, how much am I... Is, is that me just reacting? Um, yeah. Politically to something that is actually realistic and not that big of a deal maybe even I don't know I mean obviously it serves a purpose within the the novel but it just you know I don't know it got me riled up which I guess does it well I don't know no I won't say that getting me riled up is is necessarily a merit um it's not that hard to to get a feminist killjoy of of my caliber riled up I think yeah so there's yeah so that's a lot of what I've what I've been reading and um I think yeah I still need I need to get back to Rachel Kuska I've only read the first book of that trilogy but I really really liked it and I have the second one here so maybe that will be some reading for me in the next week or two I thought it was, it was very interesting you bringing up the idea of play versus pride um within the context of LGBT and even the idea of play and sexuality in general. And yeah, so so I'm so glad you reminded me of Celine uh, Siama's quote about more focus on play rather than on performance. Um, because that is, it's, yeah, it's, it's so true when you think about the way these, you know, and the, the whole idea of, you know, we make art and art makes us and the art we see is always about performance of sexuality and almost always not always but um very little about the the play aspect 
actually just now, and I didn't even note this, but it kind of made me want to go watch Short Bus again. Do you know the movie Short Bus? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, James Cam. Oh God, no. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll uh, write down the name. I'll actually rewatch it and maybe talk about it next time. But yeah, no. I mean, absolutely. I. I. I think, and I do. I mean, you like you were saying when you look at the Pride marches and whatever. For example, there is, there is this. The I think there there is a lot of play actually, and I think you know queerness has really tried to um, forefront this to a degree, but I'm not sure it's been reflected in the art so much, right? And that also just reminds me, I think, of this of the book Pleasure Activism, which I'm not sure if I've mentioned before, but the politics of feeling good, um, which is, is was compiled by Adrian Marie Brown. Yeah, that's actually... Um, yeah, the... The anyways, just making connections here as I go, winging it, right? Um, but that's why we do this, right? To make these, to make all these different types of connections. Um, yeah, one, one uh, positive development here is that since the beginning of the month, we've been able to go down to the shore now, which is very exciting. So that means you know I can I can go for runs. And Tila can go down and she can even swim now. It's swimming season because it's quite warm out. And so, you know, Tila will... There's there's one, one place along the shore not far from us where, she, where you can enter the water. And so she does that. But uh, because she's she's a highly untrained dog, proudly, I'm the, I, I proudly have not trained her to do anything... Um, you know, I can't throw a ball and she'll bring it back to me. I mean, you can throw a ball in the water and she goes and she picks up the ball and she drops it three feet later. And then she just swims back to you and looks at you waiting for the ball. And you're like, you, I, I just threw the ball. It's still in the water. I've tried to explain this. It's, uh, sadly, it's, it's, it's probably not as effective as you explaining to, you know, your three-year-old who will eventually get it. Tila just will never get it. Um, or I need to work on my training methods, it's true. I, I will admit my fault here. But in any case, so, so what I do is I throw stones, and, uh, and then she swims, after the, she swims after the spot where she sees the stone drop, and then she just turns around and comes back and waits for me to throw the next stone. So this is, our, this is how, how, how uh, we have our exercise swimming sessions with Tila. And she just loves it. I mean, she would if I left her in the water all day, she'd probably just stay there. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really, it, it's really nice to have that and be able to go down. We go down pretty early in the morning before there are too many people out. Now the coronavirus cases are apparently up again because of, uh, yeah, well, people congregating now under the lax guidelines. So I don't even go because I think the shore is just packed. I see photos of it. I don't go down there during the evenings. Um, I don't know. How much can you blame people? What can you do? I don't know. I mean, people want to get out, and that makes sense, right? They Not much green space in the city, so they flock to what they can find, and here we are. So, yeah. Well, um, I, 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 I miss browsing bookstores, I think, 
there's some, you know, there's some that have opened here now, some of them. So I, I really, my excuse is that I haven't gone out and browsed them. Um, and yeah, with museums, you know, I haven't been a, I think I've mentioned before that you know, I haven't, I'm not a, I'm not a big museum goer. Um, I, I've never gone to museums as much as I would like or I think I should in a way, maybe that's part of the thing. I don't know. It's, it's, I have this weird relationship, you know, with the visual arts, but having said that, you know, I mentioned in, in my last, in my last letter, uh, a stranger's pose by Emmanuel Iduma. And I just wanted to mention it again because, uh, you know, it, it also has these photos in it and, you know, the essays are also very much about the photos and I don't know, I think you would really appreciate it. Um, I, I, yeah, the, the more I, the more I think about it, the more I like it. <laughs> and the more I look at it, the more I like it. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. And yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to definitely say. You know, this is the thing. This is why I never get around to the letters, because then I think about 50 things I wanted to say. Right. Um, I think I will. And oh, one more thing. Sorry, I listened to my first audio book. Right. Um, I li- you know I listen to quite a number of podcasts, and I've always been. I've tried a couple of audio books, but I've just been, eh, you know. So um, what I listened to, and what, and 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 the fir- so it's the first. Uh, audio. It's not the first audiobook I've tried, but it's the first audiobook I have not abandoned. And um, I want to make sure I give the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, here it is. Yeah, My Sister the Serial Killer by Owen Con Braithwaite. And it was... I think it's it's kind of the perfect... Having this is the first one I've finished, so you know I should not be a judge of the perfect uh, audio book. But it was really just delightful and wonderfully narrated. I need to look up the the um, the the narrator's name. She deserves credit because she really made you know um, this book just extremely engaging and and wonderful. And it's just you know it's the right it's just the right degree of um, um, yeah, lighthearted, but also it's got a serious, you know, there's, 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 there's an edge to it. I don't know. I really liked it. Yeah. And it's, uh, Adepera Oduye, Adepera Oduye, who, um, narrates it. Yeah. Apparently it's up for some awards, which, um, I mean the narrated book, uh, which is, which is very exciting to me. So, yeah, gosh, see, this is what happens when I take wrong breaks, Sylvia. I end up with too much to say, and then you get these long-ass letters, right? Um, so you're probably tired of hearing my voice by this point, so I will uh, call it quits for now. And, um, yeah, I look forward to receiving your next letter, and I'll try to be put my, you know, perfectionist, my silly, stupid perfectionist instincts aside and just send you a letter right just I, I try to be quicker about it Jeez, I need to not be so ridiculous it's another cat fight okay I'm gonna close this before um anybody breaks anything anything here okay all right 
Love you, Sylvia. Take care and talk to you soon. Bye.